0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the ways that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19, from interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first-hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how this crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep Food Radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org/donate. So you
0: don't shun the devil with your rock. And roll load. No. knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs.
2: Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolton. My
3: name is Southern Teague.
4: And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, guys. Hey, fellas. <laughs> hey, everybody. Uh, so,
2: How many loaves of sourdough have you baked so far this <laughs> week?
3: You know, I personally haven't baked any, but I've seen several on my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, any feed possible. There is, I think many people have changed their Tinder profile to sourdough
4: breads. <laughs> I'm feeling I, like sourdough bread. I actually encountered this the other day because my roommate was trying to literally do that. Apparently, Tinder doesn't let you make non-face things, profile uh, <laughs> picture for, for obvious reasons. If you think about it for a half a second, but, um, yeah. but I'm yeah, somewhere
2: would <laughs> take a real dickhead to do something like that, <laughs> <laughs> um, dude. We made our uh, we made our first loaf of sourdough bread. Uh, a couple of days ago, and it turned out really well. And we didn't let it rise for long enough. But oh my god, we're talking about sourdough. This is what has come to you guys. <laughs> well, I think it's. Important. But it's like I think it's important. It's a
3: hot topic. It is, I, I, and I think it's important that people learn a new skill during this time. And I'm certainly learning one right now. I want to point out to the listener that, uh, you know, I've uh, I've gotten myself a computer, borrowed one. It's not mine. Uh, and we're all in remote locations again. None of us are in the same room together. We're we're practicing social distancing more physical distancing really. I think we're being quite social. Um, but, uh, we're mm-hmm. all in our, well, Damon, you're all the way over on the West coast. I'm, I'm, I'm in the mm-hmm. city today in, in Manhattan, Greg's in Brooklyn. Um, so yeah, you know, we're all, we're all trying to learn something new.
2: Yeah. I mean, like I, I'm impressed that you're typing with all of your fingers instead of just your thumbs on your phone to write your books. Um, <laughs> You know, that's, that's amazing. You've, you've really evolved as human beings out
3: there. So you're saying on this larger keyboard, I'm supposed to use all my fingers, not just my thumbs. (laughs)
2: That's
3: a whole new world. Yeah.
2: That's generally the way it works, but do you, man? It's a whole new world. It's been successful. So you don't have to hold it in your hands to type. (laughs) (laughs) I can see you like hanging out in your closet and holding your, like gripping your laptop, just typing with both of your thumbs.
4: Like how do people use these?
2: They're so heavy. (laughs) it's not a flip phone, so there <laughs> uh,
3: well, you know, you're trying oh, times, and, uh, we are, uh, you know, we're all just having to adapt as best we can. Um, you know, uh, I've spent my week doing, uh, uh, um, you know, lots of social media stuff. I've really upped my social media game. I've been filming uh, little clips of myself making cocktails, using whatever I have on hand at the house, uh, I've been doing mm-hmm. Instagram live sessions with different uh, outlets and bars. I've been uh, uh, doing. I, I literally today did a, a personal class just for two people, uh, all about amaro and bitters. Um, you know, we're having to adapt and move, and and I think that's uh, that's the nature of the human spirit, right? It's all about survival. We're gonna we're gonna survive this, and uh, you know, I feel like we've we've left old Earth behind. We're having to face new Earth as it comes at us, right?
2: Yep. I'm like thinking about getting into the, uh, the retails, the spirits retail game, honestly. Um, something I can still do in the light of any kind of circumstance like this, you know? And, uh, you know, you can like the, the shop that I worked at back in the day called Linnell's in Red Hook. Um, there was always, you know, some sort of like educational presentation. We did classes all the time. Dave Wondrich is, for, you know, his first book *Imbibe* came out. Uh, he had his book release party there. You know, like stuff like that. You know, there's a lot you can still do without, you know, uh, staying open until four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you <know? Yeah>. staying <laughs> in the game. But I
4: mean, um, nine a.m. though—that's the—that's the other, the crack of nine. <laughs> Total readjustment of all the circadian rhythms we've been shredding for the past however many decades we've been doing this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Greg what are You know, like how are you keeping yourself occupied, Greg? Um, well, working a lot on uh, on bar none, but also, um, I'm finally learning to cook. Uh, it's a little embarrassing, especially because I live in restaurant or <laughs> live in restaurants. I mean, yeah, really, who among us doesn't? <laughs> um, but I sort of realized, you know, I. Have been pretty much since I graduated from college working in restaurants full time, which means that five days a week you get your meals, you know, made for you in some sort of family meal style thing or however it is by professional chefs. Like you're always being showered with good food that's been made by people who make good food for a living. And I'd sort of been neglecting. That particular skill set in my own personal life. So, me and my girlfriend have been—I think—in the past two weeks, we've gotten three whole chickens and made them into wings. We've roasted them. We've done chicken tinga. I'm now i am um, i am trying to master the medium of chicken. That's how <laughs> I'm keeping myself busy. The new art form of chicken.
2: <laughs> I like this. Yeah, it's a It's, it's, a very, thing. it's a very versatile. <laughs> you know. um you know and also like you work those five days a week and you, you got family meal and, and you know it's, it's always awesome you get to like eat at the the bar restaurant you work at and then the other two you end up you know not cooking at home because you're like fuck it it's my turn to uh like sit and be served you know i, I can't tell you how many times i've sat and had like four hour long lunches at roberta's before the show i mean you can probably go back to the archives and tell by. Uh, my voice is slurring, but, uh, you know, like, you know, when, when it's right there, it's really easy, you know? So I get it.
4: As, as someone who's a listener before he was a host. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, you can.
2: <laughs> Thanks.
3: Um, well, Greg, in our virtual studio today, we've got a, a very important guest. It's got plenty of things to talk about regarding, uh, some of the stuff that's going on currently and some of the stuff that, uh, it's uh, probably been neglected and should have been addressed all along. Why
4: don't you introduce our guest? Sure, absolutely. So today we have uh, Matt Fole coming to us from Utah. Uh, he runs One Small Miracle out there and uh, Utah Tip Jar. How are you doing, Matt?
5: Good. How are we doing, gentlemen? Great.
4: Hanging in there, man. How about yourself? I'm
5: doing all right. I, I was troubling as you guys were talking because this time it seems has made everyone Gordon Ramsay, and I'm in the exact same boat that you guys are. <laughs> I'm trying to master the stir fry right now that's my most current pursuit. Perce-
3: I feel like it's less Gordon Ramsay and more chopped. That's true. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, working with uh unusual ingredients in uh in combinations <laughs> that you never had before. I agree with that. There's a lot of challenges.
4: <laughs> in your basket today is a cucumber that's about to turn.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. Some dry sausage and a bag of gummy
3: bears.
5: <laughs> yeah. it really uh it puts your life in a perspective real quick when you start to look around and go oh man this is how i was living that's that's unfortunate <laughs>
4: <laughs> well i mean it says it says something about the you know the nature of the infrastructure that we've lost i mean not just for you know the the layperson, the nine to fiver that's coming out and, you know, having a, a meal, you know, treating themselves to a meal out like once, maybe twice a week. But, you know, it's it's a it's not just our jobs. It's kind of like, you know, our social network, our <laughs> how a lot of us were getting fed. Um, a lot of it is, you know, we're having to to look around and say, okay, what can I do with what I've got in like a one mile radius of my apartment?
5: And I- that's something don't even think about really. That was the craziest part for me. It was in the very beginning of this whole thing, just stopping and actually looking around and going, holy cow, I was on autopilot this whole time. You know, walk across the street, walk down the block, you know, don't even think about it.
3: Exactly. Uh, yeah, this has definitely shined a light on a, a great deal more introspection, I think. But it seems to me, based on what I've read about you, uh, Matthew, that uh, you've been doing some introspection for a while. Talk a little bit about how... Um, you suffered uh, a bit of a medical emergency, and it kind of changed your perspective uh, on, on what's going on and, and inspired what you do today.
5: Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in 2014, um, I've kind of lived all over the country. I, I moved out here uh, to Salt Lake City. It's a, it's a really common story when you, if you're out here and you talk to people. They always talk about moving out here for a ski season 20 years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. and uh, and I was the same way. I just I <clears throat> needed a break from life, and I thought I'd come out here for like two ski seasons, and that was going on 10 years ago. Um, and I, I really fell in love with it out here and had always been in, in restaurants and bars, and and uh, found myself uh, bartending when I I suffered a, an ischemic thalamic stroke, um, in the summer of 2014. And at that time, I had just turned 29, and um. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of the, the a common thing that you see in the industry, I'm sure, in other markets as well, but a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck and it's a period of your life where you're not thinking that, you know, something will happen or I'll deal with it later when it comes and then all of a sudden it's on your doorstep when you don't expect it. Um, so going through the recovery process of that, I, I very quickly learned it wasn't just physical and emotional, but uh, it was financial as well. And when at that time when I started looking into – um, assistance programs that existed to, to benefit members of the service industry specifically um, I kind of came up dry you know a lot of a lot of us are, are living without insurance or we have very minimal insurance plans and um, you know it was very quickly after that I kind of sat down and kind of looked in the mirror and said hey let's let's try to put my head to something and, and maybe help some people out.
3: Uh yeah so this this came out of nowhere right you're a 29 year old man uh, no reason to think that you're going to suddenly fall ill with a such a a dramatic uh, and and immediate thing it's not like you you know it's, it's kind of like getting hit by a car which I've done and I don't recommend um you didn't expect it it wasn't coming you didn't see it happening slowly it, it just happened while you're while you're uh, were you at work when when this happened
5: I, I actually was driving when it happened uh oh, it was, holy shit yeah it was pretty wild um i thankfully almost immediately had the the presence of a fleeting mind to pull off the road um i was thankfully on a street where i could do that um but i actually was driving to the golf course to play a summer uh, round of summer golf and and uh you know, I uh, the only thing at that time that I knew about having a stroke was facial paralysis or facial drooping, and I didn't have any of that, so I actually didn't even go to the
2: hospital for two days. Uh, um, what were what were like what made you think this was happening, and like what what made you like what were the symptoms that you encountered? During the you story? know, looking
5: back on it, it was it was fairly uh, classic stuff. I had a specific kind of stroke called ischemia, which is not a blockage; it's where blood actually stops flowing to a portion of your brain. Um, but the, mo- the two most overwhelming sensations that I can remember, and that time is, it's odd when you start learning about brain chemistry and brain function and how little we know about it. A lot of that time is actually really fuzzy. Um, but the two most pervasive sensations I remember are um, this over- overwhelming sense of heat. Um, outside, you know, I had my air conditioner blowing on me. Uh, But it just felt like I was having these waves of heat pour over me and then uh, numbness and tingling on the right side of my body that I couldn't at that time actually place as a stroke. Um, And it was a stroke in the left hemisphere of my brain, so I I had right-side paralysis. Um, But, you know, the strokes don't really run in my family, and I knew a little bit about them, uh, but I thought it would be more of like a violent or, you know, abrasive experience and it was
3: like, like like um, what we see in TV and movies, right?
5: Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I just kind of like sat there and let it happen and then kept driving.
2: (laughs) It was a really bizarre thing. Jesus.
3: I guess the big question is, did you finish the round of golf?
2: No, it's, you know, it's interesting in talking. Best game of my life.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm talking to my urologist. When I went to the hospital, he he said, if you had played that round of golf, you most likely would have died. Um, But it was, it was a really bizarre thing. It was a, a crystal clear blue day when I had my stroke. And in the time that it took me to drive to the golf course, which was like 15 minutes, a storm blew in and I watched it come across uh, Salt Lake Valley and it just started dumping rain and it dumped rain long enough for me to be like, well, maybe I shouldn't play golf today. And I turned the car around and went home. And as I drove away from the golf course, it got sunny again. Um, Wow.
3: (laughs) Divine intervention that stopped you from, from making that round.
5: Uh, Yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting thing.
3: But so so this led you to, to the sort of, Really fine-lined or pinpointed the the situation that I feel like most of us are in in our industry. This made you uh, kind of literally overnight uh, discover that you were probably in a pretty big pickle regarding uh, the cost of healthcare and and your coverage. Uh, uh, so talk about that a little bit.
5: Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty uh, pretty intense experience. You know, it's it's you wake up one morning and and you're forty thousand dollars in debt and. I'm one of the lucky ones too, you know, a lot of, a lot of us are um, going to work every day and every week and living paycheck to paycheck and we don't have insurance or there's always a reason to to spend that money somewhere else. And um, then something happens, you know, I had a friend a couple of years ago that fell off his mountain bike and smashed up his face pretty good. And he had $90,000 in medical bills, you know? And uh, when you start to look into the medical system more deeply, like I've done over the last few years, It's a it's a really sad story, you know, and and I don't want to make it political by any means wherever you sit on the spectrum. It's just there's a lot of people with a lot of need and it comes out of nowhere. You know, real life happens. Like you said, you get hit by a car, you know, or you have a stroke. Something as simple as you fall and break your collarbone. You know, we, we benefited my nonprofit, benefited a young man who broke his collarbone and he was a bartender. So for eight weeks, he couldn't raise his right arm you know, and it wasn't anything that, you know, will change the course of his life. But for two months, he didn't have a way to make money, you know. Um, and the way that our medical costs are are positioned and the way that our system works nowadays, you know, it's, you can have an outpatient procedure that costs you $20,000, you know. Um, and if you don't have any kind of insurance, I don't know what, what it's like in other states, but knowing the statistics here in utah the members of the service industry are uninsured at a rate that's four times the state average um so it you know it's it's a, a problem across the country but specific to our interest industry it, it is really really uh, effective you know or it, it affects the members of our industry. It it does
3: indeed. And I believe the national standard dictates that a $400 surprise bill of any kind, you know, a car, uh, 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 you know, maintenance bill that comes out of nowhere uh, is enough to topple uh, you know, the average American into a state of distress financially. Uh, so add into that, that there's a medical situation. And, and like you said, this gentleman who broke his collarbone couldn't, couldn't have an income for eight weeks. Um, you know, that, that's certainly more than $400. And uh, you know, it's it's a sad state of affairs that we're, we're at such a, so close to the tipping point at all times as an entire nation. Um, but you're you're you heading and doing things about that. And I really want to hear more about that. But we're right at the point in the show where we take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. We'll come back and keep talking to uh, Matt full about uh, what you're what you're doing to, to help out people that are in these predicaments. So stay tuned.
1: Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide and two thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed on to the plan, like Nam Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for ROAR, relief opportunities for all restaurants.
2: And we're back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. We're in the studio, the virtual studio today. Talking with Matt fo out in Utah. Matt, we were just talking uh, before the break about one small miracle and about your stroke and like, man, that's terrifying. Um, I like playing golf to me is already scary enough, um, but like almost dying because see, this is why I don't play golf actually. Uh, but I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> Not trying to make light of the situation, obviously, but yeah, I mean, wow. we're, we're obviously very glad you're you're here and and, happy, and healthy, you know, and able to talk with us about it. Um, speaking yeah. of, let's continue the conversation from before. You were speaking of the the fundraising uh, capabilities of the organization that you started, and man, there's there's a lot of need for that, obviously, right now. Um, let's pick, let's pick that conversation well, back I up. Well, I think
3: unfortunate. Uh, I think the unfortunate truth is there's been a lot of need. Now we have a brand new category of need and how do we face that? So let's, let's get into that, Matt.
5: Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's when, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if you gentlemen or anybody else, any of your listeners have experience in in the nonprofit world or whatever, but I, I didn't, you know, I came with this thing just kind of like, Hey, I want to try to do something. And my, my worry before I launched was that, you know, I would, you know, put this thing out into the community and. There would be crickets chirping, you know, um, and it was very quickly <laughs> the exact opposite, and it was something that I was unprepared for, um, truthfully. And I've I've had to grow in my understanding of the need, um, you know, that is that exists from community to community. And when I talk to people, my friends who are bartenders in Denver, and Las Vegas, and San Francisco, it's these are stories that are very common across markets. Um, and so what, what we did was we kind of hunkered down and, and um, you know, less than two weeks after we launched, a dear friend of ours got diagnosed with late stage cancer and uh, we walked with him through his fight. And, you know, what we really want to do is we're starting to, to kind of focus the, the beam of light as to where we can do our most good. And what we're finding is that we can help to keep people whole while they're navigating their issue, you know, when, when we talk about the broken system. You know, somebody who's getting treated for cancer or, you know, has $150,000 in medical bills, we might be able to get there one day to be able to just write that off. And that's our goal. But what we've been doing over the last year, as we just turned one, is, is kind of targeting the fact that, hey, we can keep you whole while you're battling. You know, we can keep you whole so you're not a debt. So you still have a job, you still have a house, you still have a car, and your bills are paid while you're, you know, you have your collarbone being treated. And, um, you know, I I admittedly in, in early f- February, when, when I heard about coronavirus the first time, I kind of made a joke about it because I didn't really understand what it was, you know, and I kind of had a chuckle about it. And then watching what's happened to our industry, I mean, it's it's no um, no small thing what's happening across the country. And it's, it's not a secret what's happening to our industry. But we've suddenly realized that You know what keeping people whole looks like now is very different than what it looked like even three months ago. Um, And really trying to dig in and and do our best to raise some funds for the people of our industry in the state of Utah it's uh, we have up up over 30,000 people affected by what's going on with COVID. and you know, the the governmental agencies are, are doing what they can, but they're slow moving. And and I think with One Small Miracle, one of the advantages that we have is, you know, we can be very agile and very quick. Um, so we're just trying to rally uh, a coalition of support to to try to help the people out who need it, you know, and it's something as simple as right now, we're making like 150 to $200 little grants to people. And, you know, I had a conversation with somebody that I didn't quite understand, you know, I I expressed, I wished it was more. And she said, you know, I've been stressing out about how to buy my kids diapers and this will help me buy my kids diapers, you know? Um,
3: Yeah. I think think that, you you know, in a strange way, we're, 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 it's terrible that we're all without income, but I feel like we're also all without any, any, You know, any of the normal avenues that we spend our own money. So, you know, the difference, you know, you might have liked to have given that person twice the amount of money in a normal time, but half the money was still as usable in this time. I would also ask, like, um, I get that you're trying to help people during this particular time, but... How much more difficult is it to raise funds now that you can't, like, I don't, I don't know what you were doing in the past, but you know, when I see, when I think of fundraisers, I think of galas and parties and events. Like, how are you encouraging people to give when you have funds? Yeah. Yeah.
5: I mean, it's, it's crazy. We we did an event on February 28th of 2020 and it was. Valentine's Day. Yeah. It was, it was. $500 per ticket, basically gala. And we partnered with ballet West out here in Salt Lake city. And we had it at this beautiful venue and we had music and chefs from all over the place. And it was like a five hour immersive event. And within three weeks, everybody's situation changed. And looking at that, that is, I think, kind of where we are at as, um, as an organization. And I think as an industry, when, You look at people's ability to donate, you know, a lot of people want to give and want to do what they can and people's purse strings and ability to actually do that are starting to tighten. So I think the challenge for our organization and many organizations like us right now is how to engage with the communities and how to tap resources and what those resources are as the business climates are changing. You know this this to me uh what we're experiencing right now i think is going to you kind of alluded to it earlier fundamentally shift and change the way that business is done as we move forward you know um so we knew that it would be kind of hot and heavy right out the gate and then things would slow down and we're kind of experiencing that thing right now and we're starting to push out into different circles and networks um, in trying to build partnerships with businesses that, you know, and help raise awareness. And it's, it's a a really unique and challenging time, but what we're seeing out here and I'm sure that you're seeing in your communities as well is it's, it also brings the best out of people, you know, and it's, it's a very overwhelming. And um, I find myself very humbled a lot to see the lengths that people are going for each other, you know, just two blocks down the road, the United States Bartenders Guild is doing a grocery pickup today, you know, and and whether it's groceries or let me give you a ride somewhere or what help do you need that I can give? You know, I've had we've had donations, the five dollar donations to our COVID program. And it's huge, you know.
3: Yeah. Um, when, when, you know, all those small drops come together, the bucket fills up pretty quickly. Um, absolutely. And that's, it's very heartwarming to see it's. But I, I think one of the things that I want to maybe circle back to is like, how do we approach? You know, what I'm I'm going to start calling new Earth because we've left old Earth behind. Yeah. How do we yeah. approach mm-hmm. new Earth with the with the mentality that that like we don't want to go back to old Earth that this wasn't this wasn't yeah. ideal. How do we convince uh, those of us in our group and those around us, uh, secondary and tertiary to our group that? The, the status quo sucked. Uh, we just were more like used yeah. to it. And now that it's kind of been stripped away, we need to change it. Yeah. And I,
5: I don't want to romanticize, you know, what I'm about to say. Um, there's a very realistic um, piece of this. That's very ugly and very difficult to look at. Um, but discomfort To me, and this is a personal feeling, you know, discomfort sometimes is an important experience to rub up against, to kind of center you a little bit and bring you back. And what I think what I'm seeing is it was really easy for myself, you know, we were just talking about it, I'm cooking more because I literally would just walk across the street and go to one of the best restaurants in our city, you know, and All of a sudden, when the things aren't there that are definitive to what you have created as your reality on the ground and all of that gets stripped away, you got to kind of rub up against the sandpaper and get uncomfortable for a second. And I feel like you start to value the things that you didn't even notice before, you know, um, whether it's as simple as a walk in the park or whether it is the support of four friends you know four officers from the usbg doing a grocery drive or i think people and i don't know how you guys are experiencing it in in your markets but i'm noticing people who who are a little bit more present in how they view things and understanding that everybody is in that same boat and you know the the expression that the rising tide lifts all boats the rising of the tide from this situation forward, I think, is going to look at it a little bit differently because people are going to be docking their boats in different places.
3: I, I wholeheartedly agree. I also I use that phrase a lot: a rising tide raises all boats. And this situation has definitely forced me to come to the uh, the obvious conclusion uh, that maybe wasn't so obvious before all this happened. That the lowering tide lowers us all as well. Absolutely. Either way, uh, as you said, we're we're in the we're in the same boat. Um, yeah. And it's, it's been, it's been a challenge for all of us. Um, and, you know, really glad to know that you're out there. So, um, how does your organization then kind of like distribute the funds, uh, is it application process or how, how does that?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you can find it in our, uh, our Instagram profile. If you are in Utah and you haven't had the opportunity to yet, um, we have a link to a very, very simple Google form. The way that we're doing it is we just thought it would be uh, the most fair to benefit people on a first come, first serve basis. So we're slowly clipping through uh, the responses that we get. Um, we just do a very simple kind of vetting thing where we ask you to leave a name and number of, uh, of a boss or a manager. And we just give them a quick call, ask them a couple questions. Um, and then we, we use Uh, the digital platforms of Venmo and PayPal to get you the money the quickest. Um, And we're doing also our best to stay in touch with, you know, the information that's coming out from different organizations all over the country uh, to share that as well, because we know that there's going to be, you know, I just got an email um, from USBG national today and they received a quarter million applications for their relief fund. And there's a lot of things happening all over the place Um, that we want to keep people involved with, too. So I think, you know, we just redesigned and launched our website, which is b1smallmiracle.org, and our Instagram. We're keeping people up to date in real time as we learn about things and kind of um, distill the most relevant pieces of information to our community.
2: I have a question, Matt. Um, Yeah. It's kind of like a little on topic, a little off, but still kind of like – in regards to the situation at hand right now, I know that like Utah, I'm from Oklahoma. So it's always been like Utah and Oklahoma have like the kind of like the still like the very antiquated strict blue laws. Right, right. Uh, Has Utah changed the laws to where you can do like to go cocktails for like any kind of like fundraising situation or keeping like bars, restaurants afloat?
5: No. And, and that's kind of, it's kind of a bummer, unfortunately. Um, you know, I I think that there is a lot of, maybe misperception about the way things operate when things are normal out here, you know, but, um, listening to you guys talk about like the cocktail deliveries and, and all that stuff, we unfortunately haven't been able to do that out here. Um, and it's a, it's a delicate dance, you know, it's, it's, uh, you want to be respectful of the, of the process. And every year in the legislative session, you know, you nudge the ball forward another foot, um, this is this is a time where those types of programs would be really great. Not just like you, gentlemen, mentioned it earlier. It's it's almost not even also all about money. It's about keeping people engaged, right? You know, uh, having Zoom call your staff. Yeah, and-
3: largely, Matthew. I'm I'm doing it here at the bar. I'm at the bar today to to do it. I'm, I'm doing it three days a week, and largely it's busy work. It's not uh, generating even 1% of the revenue that we normally generate, people people keep saying to me, well, at least you're keeping the lights on. And no, this wouldn't even pay my electric bill. But it, but it keeps me engaged with my audience. It keeps me, my hands, frankly, busy. You know, I battle with a lot of anxiety and depression, and, and but those two uh, creep up on me the most when I'm not busy. So I like to keep my hands busy, even if it's somewhat Sisyphean, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you mind if I ask you, gentlemen,
5: a question kind of about that from, from perspective too is, as Wait. people
2: are, um, in there, the, in there are the, no gentlemen here. By the way,
3: looking <laughs> <laughs> around the room, <laughs>
5: looking around the closet. <laughs> All right, you yeah. um, shocks. You know,
3: if as as you
5: look, you know, you talk about being at your business and and staying engaged with your staff. You know, busy work, and are, is there a fear or a worry also that this time, you know? takes people away from the industry or people have to make a hard right turn at some point and we start losing some of the young talent that
2: absolutely i mean i'm i'm fearful of that every day i mean like i'm I, i'm feel fearful for myself honestly so like i was saying before i was i wasn't joking about getting into the retail side of it you know because it's like it's actually kind of safe in this time you know like the only places that are really open around where i live are liquor stores and hospitals you know so you know, so, you know, as far as like on uh, from a business point of view, for me, it's like, you know, I I was looking at real estate out here to, in, you know, in uh, Northern California to open up another bar restaurant or two. And, you know, now I'm just like, God, you know, like there's first of all, like it's going to be hard to get any investors one because it's not a great invest. It's not a very it doesn't feel as good as it did in old earth. Uh, but then at the same time, it's like. I I feel like you're also not going to be able to get like the same kind of quality staff, you know, like I think a lot of people are reconsidering since, you know, our industry has been hit so hard by it. It's like, man, what do you do? Like you can't really like, it's one thing to think of it. Like you said, like we're all in this together right now, this round, but like, you know, if this kind of thing happens again, it's like, we don't know, like, like you also said it's getting to the point where the purse strings are starting to tighten because you know, like people have given so much. Thankfully, they've given so much money to our industry, and we're really very thankful for that. But it's that it, I wonder how long that's actually going to be a you know feasible, right. you know, yeah. and yeah. So it's a it's a really great question, actually. What do you think, Southern? You're the one that owns like 20 bars in New York City. <laughs>
3: yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I have some pretty, um, you know, I'm doing a lot of hand wringing and thinking about things a lot. And, the you know, the statistics dictate that uh, um, maybe a third of our, well, when we come back to business, it's not going to be normal right away. It's not going to be the same right Right. We're not going to, it's not right. an on off switch. We won't be right back to full speed. Uh, and that'll probably take a year to get to, which means then that we won't be back to full staff. So let's just assume that we lose a third of my staff, um, just based on uh, we don't need them. We can't pay them because we're not generating enough revenue. If that's true,
2: you don't need two bartenders on a Thursday night, you know, stuff stuff like that. We're going
3: to cut that stuff down. So let's assume that's happening industry wide. That means that, you know, potentially a third of everyone doesn't have a job to go back to. They're forced to pivot. They're forced to maybe, like you said, go into retail, go catch up on a, on a, on a degree that they didn't finish or go into a degree that they did finish and, and change. Um, but you know, the landscape is going to change. It's going to be very different. I think a lot of the folks who um, are career and have been doing it for years, I feel like those folks will be a little bit more resilient and be able to come back. But the younger ones, the talent that you were just talking about, which we're always excited to see and excited to have around us because they keep us fresh and young. I feel like a lot of them are going to be like, oh man, this seemed very cool and very worth it and very fulfilling to me prior back in old earth. But now, um, you know the times are so lean that it, it isn't worthwhile. And will they go off and do something else? You know, it's kind of like the opposite, right? Instead of like, oh, I took a year off to bartend and went back to college. Now it's going to be more like, oh, I took I took a year off bartending to go back to something else. And then will they will right. they come back when things quote unquote normalize? I don't know. It's going to be um, it's going to be crazy. Greg, you got any input on that?
4: Well, I keep thinking about, um, there was a story in the, I don't know whether it was like the 60s or 70s or something like that, but there was a massive 8.2 earthquake in Anchorage, Alaska, and it, it, it destro- decimated the entire city, like, you know, took down all the buildings, cut gas lines, power lines, everything. And the government, in the re- like in the first few days of the rebuilding, they send uh scientists, um sociologists to study what was happening there because they wanted to see, you know, like what they basically wanted to see what happens when society collapses. And I'm sure they were expecting to see, you know, anarchy, cars on fire, warlords, all that. But what they saw was everybody banding together to help out. You know, they saw everybody coming together to um, you know, feed their neighbors, um, make sure people had places to stay, make sure everybody had clean water. And I see that a lot. In I I guess the, the positive flip side of the fact that the government has been so slow to help out our sector of the economy is that the people in it have all been so enthusiastic to band together to, you know, be uh, a part of, you know, to, to say, what can I do? I've got a bicycle, and I know how to sew. Like, how can I help what you're doing? And maybe this is rose-colored glasses of me, but I have to think that there's something about that experience that even if people do have to, you know, even if their job doesn't come back for eight months, nine months, God forbid, a year, but if we get to that point, I have to think that those people... The people that I've seen stepping up want to be a part of this community enough that when we return, when we when we finally in our crappy spaceship arrive at New Earth, they'll say, OK, great. Um, where do I start? Like, who's who's hiring? I, I want to get back to this. I could be wrong and this could be, you know, the complete end of American bartending as we know it. But for right now, I'm not convinced that it is
5: well and i think one of the things because i've worked in other industries as well you know i kind of make the joke that i landed in bars and restaurants because i tried to leave the industry three times and eventually just waved the white flag because i love it but <laughs> yeah. i think one of the one of the things that i've noticed in, and i think that separates our industry and i don't know how this plays out but i'm i'm intrigued to to see is the businesses and the 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 crews and the, the employees of businesses, they really, band, the, the family feeling of being involved in this industry is, it's very different, I feel, than other industries. Um, and again, that could be my own rose-colored glasses from just loving this industry and being in it. Um, but I feel like it's a different experience and feeling for people who are in it as well. You know, and I don't don't know if you have the same experience on your end, but we hear things all the time where it's like, oh, these people are my family, you know. Um, And when you talk about, you know, Anchorage and and experiencing the earthquake, you know, we're seeing a lot of people rise for each other. And it looks very different in in the new world. It's, you know, jumping on Zoom or just hanging out or having a long-distance drink with somebody if they're having a tough time. But we're seeing and hearing stories that are really um enheartening and give us a lot of hope but i'm i'm as a business owner as well um because i i also own a bar i i am looking forward also just with a bit of like morbid curiosity but also you know probably naive and romanticizing and the hope that's involved as well to see the evolution that comes from our our industry through this you know? Yeah,
3: Matthew, I couldn't agree more about the sort of camaraderie that's intrinsic to our field. You know, uh, I don't think that as an accountant, I would be able to call up an accountant that I'd never met across the country and talk to him about some new technique that he was using to crush numbers, you know, whereas as a bartender, if I see someone doing something on Instagram, I might reach right out to him around the globe and, and they typically will happily answer. So we have, we have that going for us. Um, as far as like uh, you know, crushing global uh, or even localized things like that earthquake, you know, I keep trying to just remind myself that we keep comparing coronavirus, COVID-19, to um, you know the Spanish flu of 1919, uh, and then my mind immediately jumps to all of the you know photographs of people having great times out eating and drinking in the Roaring Twenties. So you know, my, my hope is that we'll we'll overcome this devastating disease and we will find a way to make it so that it's safe for us to be next to one another again, and we'll get next to one another and we'll, and we'll start being a communal
4: um, society again. Absolutely. You know, I, at the, at the risk of, I, I, I really hate any sort of like silver liningness of this because it, it sucks so plainly and so objectively, but at the same time, like, yeah, like you said, if you look at history, there's no, there's no growth without, there's no periods of like big growth without upheaval, you know? Um, And I think that if we are going to build a new normal, you know, now it it didn't come in any way that is good or that we wanted. But, you know, I think that if we at the other side of this don't build a new normal, that's better than what we left behind, you know, it'll be a wasted opportunity. I think there's a lot of momentum where we can accomplish that.
5: Well, and it it also shines a light on the things that as a culture and a society, I believe we haven't given enough of our thought to, you know, I, I feel like this is something that, you know, whether or not the next one hits as hard as this, we're not going to take it for granted. You know, I, I feel like it's possible that we, in America, we live, you know, we, we do live for the most part, fairly privileged lives when you put it across the comparative spectrum across the globe. And when things happen, I I think we maybe have our initial tendency is to say, Oh, not here or not us. Right. That's tough for them, but man. And and I wonder if people are going to maybe their ears will perk up a little bit quicker, you know, Uh, Moving forward, you know,
3: sure. When and if we see a sign of something like this happening somewhere else, we won't we won't just dismiss it. And hopefully hopefully our own government won't just dismiss it out of hand and and make us feel a false sense of security. Hopefully we'll be a little bit more tuned in and and ready to go, you know, ready to to go to work on whatever's going to need to be done to prevent what's preventable and to prepare for what isn't.
5: Hey, Souther, Do you, do we have enough time? Can I ask you one question? And and I would love everybody's thoughts. Just it's something that's been on my mind. I don't know how we're doing on time, but we're good. Um, I love your thoughts on it. Um, we're we're seeing a lot of like conversation gear towards you know, and you kind of alluded to even when things open up, it won't be the same. But people really wanting to get these the economy back and these industries going again. As a business owner have you thought about the challenges you know i was reading articles last night about how there's now a push with lobbyists within congress to pass legislation that prevents lawsuits so people suing businesses if they go to their business and get sick you know as a business owner that has brands that have value and and you know interface with the community on a daily basis have you thought about where that area or that rub area for you is in your businesses or or you know how, how we navigate this, where's the, the responsible point to open up, you know? Um, I
3: mean, yeah, I think about it constantly, frankly, um, you know, and it's strange. I, I keep relating it back to uh, post-prohibition. I feel like the government, the federal government let us down and they're letting us down in a similar way now, I think, if you bear with me for the analogy. Uh, post-prohibition, the federal government said to every state, they're allowed to make their own rules and regulations and laws regarding how Alcohol is consumed and sold, which created just this patchwork of you know uh, of of different sets of standards, uh, which then just makes it harder to do business and commerce and state to state, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I feel like the federal government today decided uh, during this crisis to allow every state to have its uh, its own its governors decide when to when to do things like shutting down and, and imposing social distancing. And now in New York, it's, you know, you're required to have masks and gloves if you're on the street at all. And, um, you know, so I feel like, uh, you know, at first, my first reaction would be I would like for the government to mandate those things. But since they're not going to, we have to be more diligent. So. We're already um, creating scenarios that will dis- define how we're going to uh, operate the business in general when we come back at all. Um, we are uh, uh, I'll give you the, an example of Moria Margo, at least. We're going to only allow, we think anyway, things may change. Um, we're only going to allow 16 people in the room at a time, but we're going to give them a two-hour block. Uh, that's that's uh, a, you know, a a flat fee. We haven't decided on what that fee is. And in that, in that two hours, they can drink anything they want off the bar. Um, But they will just be 16 people and one bartender in the room. Uh, If we can do that twice a night, every night, and in between each of those two seatings of 16, we will disinfect, we'll, you know, run a a sanitizer all over everything. We'll clean the bathrooms and uh, things like that. Um, Plus we'll, we've already looked into buying, you know, the electric, uh, Laser uh, temperature, uh, you know, gauge so we can take temperature on the way in the door. You know, I'm trying to take some cues from my friends and 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 thought leaders and and industry leaders in Asia who are, you know, they're somewhat in the future on this. They're ahead of us. Um, you know, I'll take some cues from them to prepare as best we can for what's coming next. But. Uh, as far as the lawsuits against businesses who, who, um, who get opened, uh, I hadn't really looked into or thought of that too much, but I can understand how the public and how even, you know, local governments would be, um, you know, at the ready, clause out to, uh, to take people to task if they're not, you know, you know, you know we got to change the way we're doing things. We, I think hospitality industry, we're pretty lucky that we're already you know, used to washing our hands a lot and being clean and uh, being on point. But now we got to, we got to do that a little bit more diligently. And I think a key point is we need to do it visibly. You know, I want, I want to like, I almost want to make a little bit of a spectacle about every time I wash my hands behind the bar, you know? So again, if it's only 16 people in the room, I can say, okay, guys, I'm going to wash up now. And we're going to start making drinks. Um, so I don't know, little things like that. Um, but you know, I don't know how to worry yet about uh, you know, the legal ramifications that people might uphold or, or bring up, but it's certainly something to think about. Damon, you, you, you're a business owner as well. You've given any thought to this stuff?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say, Southern, you've been wearing gloves behind the bar for like the last two years. So I think you've been ahead of it. You've you've been in the future, too. So Yeah, I I have. And, uh,
3: uh, you know, so it won't be won't be that great of an adjustment for me. But, you know, the you know, wearing a mask, uh, uh, you know, and and having, you know, actual uh, big jars of disinfectant wipes on hand. uh, And, you know, that'll be a little bit different. We always have a a sanitary bucket with a with a with a rag in it. You know, that's a requirement. Uh, for the health department here, and um, but you know we still have to up that game and again make it more visible. Like that sanitary bucket, usually out of sight to the guest. I want disinfectant wipes to be seated, you know, every every second stool at the bar, so the so the guests have a hand at them. We have a hand at them. You know, like it's going to be, um, yeah, a whole new world.
2: Yeah, I mean we've been thinking about you know just like little things here and there. Like basically, I mean you're the one with the 240 square foot bar. You've got the smallest cocktail bar. I think in New York City, or at least one of them. Yeah, which, um, I mean, I
3: don't want to, I want you to answer the question, but I want to jump in and just say that leaves me with a whole new set of challenges. You know, exactly. In Asia, when they're coming back, they've been restricting the amount of people that can be in a space based on its size or based on its typical capacity, either shutting it to 50% capacity or, um, you know, based, based on space. And if they based it on space at Amore Margo, I would, I would be only allowed uh, eight people. My goal is to right. allow. Sixteen, and by the way, the room usually has somewhere around forty people in it. You know, we're we're packed all the time, so that would be a tremendous, uh, you know, uh, loss of revenue for me. My goal is to hopefully put in all these other things. You know, taking people's temperature, taking reservations in advance, making sure that we know that, like, hey, everybody who's uh, decided to come here is safe, so we can have sixteen, so it can be eight two tops effectively um and then again a two-hour block with a flat fee to pay um you know we'll 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 get it so they can pay in advance via venmo or talk or something that way there's no exchange of money you know the, the least contact we can do
2: right yeah we've talked about that a little bit i mean like the main the our capacity is somewhere around 80 80 to 90 uh, if i remember correctly and um We've got the space for it, to, you know, for people to be in there comfortably like that, with that amount of people. But at the same time, it's, you know, what I'm really seeing is, like, you kind of touched on it. We're going to go to reservation first. Like, it's going to be a reservation-only system. There's no walk-ins, which I totally hate because my whole goal with with Grand Army was to have this very neighborhood-style bar. I
3: hate hate the notion of this so badly. My whole ethos at Amore Margo is we never say no, and and now we're going to have to start saying
2: yeah exactly so like that's basically whatever you know this is like um you know this is between it's between your decisions and what the law allows you to do you know if it goes to and i think most places will be like it'll go back to like right before we got shut down it was all you know 50 percent occupancy i mean how do you how do you control that in bar because like you know for one our barstools are not bolted to the floor you know so like we we kind of talked about maybe like having stationary bar stools that are like a certain amount of feet apart but at the same time that kind of takes i don't want to go and sit at the bar and like be four feet away from the next bar stool or, you know like it's just it's hard to make those calls so i think we're gonna you know abide by the actual law which is half what they are saying that it's probably gonna happen it's gonna be half capacity so We'll start out that way we'll do reservations um and unfortunately that's just the way we're gonna have to do it until everything opens up hopefully it does you know but i you know like i'm already thinking about that out here in california even you know just talking with my girlfriend about like once this gets lifted I'm like we we're gonna have to make we're gonna have to plan every move it's not gonna be like a casual like walk to the bar and hang out it's gonna be like our, you know, our, we're going to have to schedule out our bar and restaurant time and we're going to have to make reservations for every single one of those visits, you know, which.
3: Yeah. We're facing a, a whole new set of circumstances that we're going to have to like field uh, as they come. Um, and it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be the same picture. We, we've got to, you kind of got to get in your mind already that it's going to be different. Um, and then, uh, and then we'll, will we'll navigate it as it comes and hopefully, hopefully right. it'll move forward pretty quickly. My fear for places like where you are and maybe where you are, Matthew, um, less so here in New York is that the consumer confidence about being in a room that's quote unquote shoulder to shoulder, or as I like to say, elbow to asshole, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the consumer confidence is going to be low. They're going to walk. I think there will be a lot of self policing. They're going to walk into your bar and see that it's too crowded for them to be comfortable. And they're going to say, I'll come back later or I'll come back tomorrow or whatever. Um, there's going to be that, um, I think in New York, we're, we're going to bounce back a little quicker because such a, um, a majority of the folks who live here are forced to be close to one another by virtue of literally their living situation or their, how they get around the city, which is the subway. Um, you know, they're they're going to get used to being close to one another quicker, but I still feel like it's going to take a year before just the average consumer, whether he's told by the government or not, whether he's been vaccinated or not, whether, whether all these other the, you know safety marks are put into place the consumer is going to be slow to be excited to be that close to another human being after, you're
2: absolutely after right being told, I after mean, being
3: but, told for this many months and and it hasn't ended yet so we can't even say how many months after being told for this many months stay six feet away but, from one another you know
2: yeah there's gonna be some shock some residual shock you know and but i mean like like you said you know when if you live in new york you've already signed that waiver you know you're you're you've signed up to be in the closest proximity you know, of any place in the United States. So like, I think it's going to be easier for New York as far as like consumer confidence. You're right out here. I think, you know, like I live in Marin County, I think it's going to be a lot different, you know, and I well, but, but we're, we're also consumers. So how do you feel personally? Like, how do all of you feel about going out to bars and restaurants? I mean, I'd like to hear your opinions on that because like for me, I I'll be honest, like I'm not one to like, you know, succumb to like all the propaganda and everything, but you know, it's still in my mind, you know? I mean, I, a bigger part of me though is like, I can't wait to start hugging strangers again. You know, like I, I was looking through all my photos, you know, because I've got plenty of time to, to reminisce on old earth, good times. And uh, you know, I, I was looking through all these photos and I'm like, I, I like, there are so many photos that like selfies and like photos I had, handed my phone to complete strangers in like airport bars and like I'm in photos with these complete strangers. I struck up a great conversation with in some like random airport bar or like hotel bar somewhere like in in my travels. I don't remember who the hell they are, but we had like, I, I probably never got their contact information, but we had a great time and I decided to get a picture with them, handing my phone to some complete stranger and hugging another complete stranger. I can't wait to get back to those times. So like my confidence in going out, it's like, I, I, I hate to say this. This is kind of insensitive, slightly, but like, if that's the way I go out, it's like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be pretty okay with it, you know. Because I
3: sure. I mean, I, I agree with you in philosophy, but you know, of course, you got to remember that it's you know in these in in these times, it's not just you that you are potentially endangering. Right. You're endangering someone else. But I think what we're talking about though, largely, is when we're starting to finally get back to a place of. Um, you know, regular. I don't want to use the word normal anymore, but regular business. Um, if you're asking me, yeah, I'm 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 in a dire place for it. I I I miss, you know, I built a small bar because I like to be close to people. Um, yeah, exactly. So you know, I'm missing it terribly, and I want to get back to it as quickly as we can. Hey, Matthew, um, talk to us a little bit about um, uh, contact. How can people get in touch? What's your Instagram? What's your website? Let's let's get people the information that they yeah. need.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the website is, uh, one small uh, just as it sounds B E O N E. Um, Instagram, we're at b one smallmiracle miracle. Facebook is just at one small miracle. Um, and, uh, I, my, I list all my personal information on the website. Um, so if you text the number, it's a 512 number that goes directly to my cell phone. Um, I spend a lot of time I think it's really important especially because we're so young as an organization and because this is such a kinetic and um, transitional time to reach out directly to people so I will do my absolute best if you send me an email um, at b one small or if you just shoot me a text I will uh, get back to you ASAP um, so. We, uh, we want to, we want to shake as many hands, uh, digitally as we can. We want to talk to as many people we are learning just like everybody else. And we're growing. Um, we're a young organization and, and, um, this is a, um, a very kinetic situation It changes from sometimes day to day and definitely week to week. And, um, everybody falls somewhere on the spectrum and, and we want to talk to as many people as we can. So, um, but just want to express my gratitude to you guys for having us on and, and having me on and let me chat a little bit about what we're up to. And, and, uh, it means, it means the absolute world to us for sure.
4: Absolutely, yeah. man. It's been a real pleasure having you on here. And thanks for, uh, for all the good work you're doing out there as well.
3: Thank you. Absolutely. Um, well, that sounds cool. like a great
4: place to stop guys.
3: Thanks for all that great information, Matthew. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all in this together, so we're all going to get out of this together uh, eventually. Damon, you want to take us out?
2: Yeah, I just want to say that as soon as I can, you know, we're on the same side of the United States. I can't wait to come visit you uh, in Utah. I was just out there Absolutely. um before all this went down. I was in Zion, but uh nice. close enough. Um didn't yeah. ski. I'm I'm am I'm as scared of skiing as I am of golfing, especially after this episode. <laughs> um <laughs> um <laughs> so, but yeah, I can't wait to come ski out there, man and uh, Come on out. and thanks for thank you. having you thanks for being on the show today it's been great having you and Absolutely. Uh, thank you gentlemen. yeah cheers. so that's it for the speakeasy this week check out matt's amazing efforts in this crazy time and uh help out in any way you can also if you can go to network.org, click on the beating heart to donate we're all doing this together and until next week let's all grab a glass and say cheers cheers guys cheers guys thanks. Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks. So
0: you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. No. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The groove in rhythm and blues that It's gonna get you in the air.
3: The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network.
2: Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community?